Well, thank you for that beautiful time of worship and praise. It is such a gift to be able to sing praises to our Lord, isn't it? And I love that last song, Oh Great God. It is such a testimony of the gospel. And I pray that you are treasuring the gospel. And as I have been meditating on this portion of Scripture and marinating on this in the last couple of weeks, I am so thrilled and overjoyed about the opportunity to be able to lay its truth before you. This is a favored passage by a lot of us, and I just hope to just exult in what God has revealed here in, the, in His Word. And for us to be able to go along uh, away from today with just a deeper joy and a deeper gratitude for the glories of the gospel and for us to savor Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That is what we're here for. And I pray that God will continue to stir us to love Him even more. I'm so grateful for Pastor Andrew and uh, the opportunity to be able to speak uh, as he is absent. And I'm so thankful for his encouragement. I listen to his sermons, and I am so strengthened in my faith. You have a blessed uh, pastor, and what a gift he is to the body of Christ, not only here but with, in this community and everybody that has an opportunity to listen to him. And so I have been blessed and encouraged by his ministry, and I'm so thankful to be able to have the opportunity and humbly stand in this place to be able to declare God's word to you. If you'll join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for the opportunity to be able to speak your truths here this morning. And I thank you, Father, for the joy to be called your children. And Father, we come today to be able to submit ourselves to you and under your holy word, asking that you would fill us with the glories of your grace and that we would see you. We would see you for the incredible love that you are and that you would ignite all of our hearts to be able to love and to worship you even more. I do pray for Pastor Andrew and Dennis, Lord, as they're away. I pray that you continue to use their time to be able to share the love of Jesus, to be able to draw others unto yourself and that part of the world. I pray that you'd bring him back safely to us. And Lord, I pray that your glory would be seen and enjoyed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God has been uh, doing a new work in my life over the last year or so as God has been stirring me to be able to take the word that has transformed me and to be able to reach people that are far from God. And I have been in the ministry now for since 1989. Uh, I had the opportunity to be able to be in an internship and then served uh, under three different pastorates. I had the opportunity to go to school seminary and then served with several other churches and God has got me at a place now where I am asking God to be able to just take me use me uh, for the days that I have left to be able to reach those that are far from the Lord and God is stirring our church maybe to be able to be a part of planting a new church somewhere in our community to be able to declare the truth of the gospel and as I tried to discern what uh, that means it's taken me back for the very reason of why I exist and I think it's good for us to be reminded of that. And the most basic foundational truth I think that we all need to be able to contemplate is why we exist. And we exist to, to demonstrate God's glory. That's foundational. In Genesis 1, we learn that we were created in His image, Amen. commanded to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth with His glory. That is our purpose. And that's why you and I are still here to this day. The prophet Isaiah declared this news to God's people clearly in Isaiah 43. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. 
I have called you by name, you are mine. Everyone who is called by name, whom I've created for my glory, whom I'm formed and made. And then Paul said, as just Michael just read in Ephesians 1, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory. In Ephesians 3, the church says, God, God says through Paul, the church exists to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places by making and creating a people in whom he dwells. We are to be, make visible the invisible God. And that is to be done through the church. That is our purpose, to praise his glory. Amen. And what we have in God's word is God's acts that have been aimed at seeing this through, despite the enemy's efforts. When man fell in the sin uh, in the garden, the whole human race died to our purpose. Sin means just basically to miss the mark, to fall short of God's given standard. God created us in his image. And when we fell, we marred that image. We failed to be the human representatives that God intended us to be. Sin has distorted that image. And rather than being reflectors of him, we have turned inward to try to originate a righteousness of our own. And the Bible says that righteousness is like filthy rags before a holy God. So that's why we need Christ. When Adam and Eve fell, they were very much of the, uh, aware of their sinfulness. They even hid in shame. Just like we still do today when we sin. But what is amazing to me in that passage, if you look at it, is that it's not that Adam and Eve go looking to try to reconcile with God, their creator. It's that God comes looking for them. You remember that? Amen. I think that's such a, love, such a powerful passage. That here is God, their creator. They have sinned, yet he comes as the seeking for fellowship and he is trying to be able to find and that's what he's asking god where are you or he's saying adam where are you he's wanting adam to be able to recognize who he is so fallen man does not seek after god the bible says in romans 3 it is god who is the seeker and i am so thankful that he has sought us amen, amen. <clears throat> from the first call in genesis 3 9 adam where are you to the last call in revelation 22 in 22.17, Revelation says that John says, The spirit of the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take water without, of life without price. God has been graciously calling. God is a God who longs to redeem fallen man to himself. God has been and continues, will continue to seek to redeem people for his glory, for his namesake. So important is this on God's heart that he, he tells us that he was in the world, reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. He became man, and his mission was to seek and to save lost people. Amen. Jesus healed broken people. He raised dead people, and he redeemed sinful people. And now, the way he has chosen to do that work is now, unbelievably, through you and me to be able to be his hands and feet, his mouthpiece, to be able to reconcile others unto himself. One of the books that I love to be able to read, and I've read it a couple times now, and I think it's a great paradigm of ministry and a philosophy that I want to hold to, 
is Instrument in the Redeemer's Hands. If you've not read, read, read it, I commend it to you by Paul David Tripp. And the subtitle is about basically how we as broken people can be part of the change of helping people that are broken in need of change. Broken people like us helping broken people. And that is the way God has ordained that is the goal in which all of us must be aligned. Amen? That is why we exist. And, that is, and that's why we must fulfill this mission. God's glory is at stake. Now think about that for a minute. God's glory is at stake. When you and I take a hold of the purpose by which we have been created, the reason why... We're to be faithful and obedient is because God's glory is at stake. When we're faithful and obedient, we spread his glory. And Jesus Christ is seen through that. And his glory is manifested when we make disciples. Disciples that make disciples and disciples that plant churches. And that's why we do what we do. So today I want to be reminded and I want us all to be reminded of this plan and exult along with Paul as he contemplates this plan and see what he prays for so that we will be faithful to carry out his plan. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles now with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'd like to be able to get a running start into this passage that we're going to cover today. Our emphasis is going to be on verses 15 through 23. But I'd like to reread again what Michael just read. This is one long sentence in Greek. And it is spirit-given. It is something that Uh, apart from the Spirit, Paul would not be able to declare. But as he has been received this, he is declaring this, and he's, he's exulting in its goodness, in its truth. And I just envision Paul gathering with gathering and, and as he's he's thinking about us, he's thinking about the churches, he's thinking about the believers in Ephesus, and then all of other churches. And he bless God for what he has been revealed. And he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan, I want you to be able to see that word, because that's the word that I want us to see today. What is his plan? What is our part in that plan? This was his plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him and were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Don't you just exult in what He is exalted in? Amen. That can only be Spirit given. And as we contemplate that, it's like now Paul turns in his prayer. It's, I envision him kind of reaching out at this point and grabbing a hold of our hands and praying along with us. And he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith, And he wants us to understand the bond that we now share. And he's praying for us right now. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love that you have toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in all of my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what are the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, this section of prayer starts off for this reason, and it refers back to everything that he just exulted in in 3 through 14. After Paul praises God for his sovereign, choosing, adopting, loving plan, to unite all things in Christ, he then gives thanks to God for the faith and love of the saints. And then he petitions God to make the plan known to them so that we would truly come to know this plan. So it is offered, this prayer that he's praying, is offered in a profound sense of worship. And Paul anchors this prayer in God's sovereign purposes to bring redemption and adopting a people unto himself for the fullness of time to unite all things to Christ. And I am convinced that many of us in the church have never really fully embraced this plan. And I say that because I don't know that I have completely until I see my personal responsibility in this plan, until we see our personal responsibility in this plan. And that's what God has stirred me in. What is my personal responsibility to be able to carry out this plan? You and I, we all have a responsibility to carry out this plan. And every one of us, brothers and sisters, have been gifted by God uniquely by him to be able to fit the body of Christ. And every one of you are a gift to the body of Christ. And we all need to understand how God has gifted us and then to use that gift in order to build up the body according to his plan, so that he gets all the glory and he continues to draw others that have not seen this glorious grace. And that is what God is doing in this passage. Hmm. And that's Paul's point that he's driving at. If you look a little, a few more chapters in chapter 4. Chapter 4, he says that he's given gifts to the church, right? Prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, and shepherds. And When he talks about that passage of scripture, he's talking 
He's given those gifts so that the body would build, build it up, that we'd equip the body for works of service, so that the body would build itself up in love. So we have a responsibility to build ourselves up in love. So we have to comprehend this plan, this plan that he petitions the Father of glory to give to us. And he says right there in verse 17, look along with me. He says, to give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Some of your Bibles there capitalize S. It's actually not there in the original language. It is an editorial decision based on the context. Because they see the the emphasis to, to this knowledge is only given by the Holy Spirit. And as a manifestation of wisdom and revelation. And that's what he's praying for. I pray that the Holy Spirit gives this spirit of wisdom and revelation to you. Because it's only through him. I don't know about you. There are people in my life that I long for them to see it. And as bad as I want them to be able to get it. Oftentimes they don't see it. And I know that can be one of the most difficult things as a parent to be able to have a son or daughter that does not see it yet. And we have got to be able to continue to trust God, to appeal to God, to help the Spirit move in their life. And the best thing that we can do is to continue to put them under the place of grace. Continue to bring them, let them hear the Word of God because we know when God is exalted through His Word, God gives the gift of faith. So Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Open the eyes, he says, of our hearts. I love that phrase. We've got physical eyes, but Paul says, yeah, you also have heart eyes. And your eyes, your heart eyes, have to see this truth. It is one thing to know that God exists. It's one thing to believe the Bible to be true. And it's another to know Him. To truly have a relationship with the living God through His Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? Many of you know what I'm talking about. And that's what Paul is praying for. That we would come not only to know who he is, know why we exist, but to truly know him. To sense his spirit moving in and through us. Some of us have never realized the treasure that we have that we're holding in our hands. The word of God. I don't know about you, you probably have a dozen copies maybe at your house. And maybe they... Ended up for me, for a long time of my life, I did not understand the Word of God. It was uh, just an old book that I could not understand or I could not read until I had somebody that come alongside with me and that began to disciple me. And we began to work one chapter at a time, one chapter a day, until I was able to see that God's Word was living and active. Many of us have not yet come to realize this Word is living and active. And when you pursue God... Through his word, it comes alive to you. And the Holy Spirit takes its truth, applies its truth to your life, and you know he's real. Isn't that an amazing thing? Even when, I don't know about you, but even when I mess up and when I sin and I feel like I want to hide, there's this there's pull to come back to God's word. And God, I open his word in those moments, and I don't, don't deserve to be able to hear him and speak, But I open his word and his word convicts me of the sin and it makes me want to rid myself of that sin and run to his arms. That's the power of the word of God. And that's his commitment to us as believers. Paul is praying that we would come to know that type of relationship. And to know it in a way that appreciates its value and appreciates its beauty. 
I don't know if you guys ever watched the uh, Antique Roadshow, uh, but sometimes you see that Antique Roadshow. You guys like that show? I, I think it's fascinating sometimes because folks come across something they didn't think that was of great value. They bring it to the Roadshow and they realize some expert uh, looks at this and is able to give them a value that they did not believe that they had, that they were sitting on, right? That is just the case for us with the Word of God and our relationship with God. Paul is praying that we would appreciate this value. And we'd see it as worthy, the most worthy thing in our life. That means that he prays for our hearts to be enlightened. You know, we have been created uh, for the capacity to be wowed. You hear me? We have been created for the capacity to be wowed, to be in awe, to be awestruck. And there's different things, which is amazing to me, that we're all awed about, right? Some guys are awed about cars, right? Some guys are awed about food. Some guys are awed about just the beauty of nature, right? When you see the nature and when you see a sunset, when you see those things, God has created you to experience awe and wonder and amazement at His beauty. You're to see the created things and then you're to look up to be able to see the one who created it. That's what every joy in this life is meant to be. When you get satisfied and you get joy, you're to be able to look to the giver of that joy. No matter what it is. It may be a fresh cut grass. After you look at it and you think, man, that's just, that just feels good. I don't know about you, I love mowing. It's just so satisfying. And after you mow, you look at that and you think, God, man, that is just beautiful. You know? And then this morning I was sitting outside and I was sitting on the back porch and saw the wind blow in the oak tree. Saw the birds and I'm thinking, God, that's just amazing. You did that. You did that. How good are you? Uh, last night we made uh, we grilled uh, salmon, and uh, and we had uh, Kelly made uh, asparagus that went along with that carrots. And I, I tell you, it was a sight to behold. And I remember sitting at that, looking at the table, and thinking, God, you made this, you provided this for us. We're to be wowed, and every time you're wowed, you're to be awestruck with who God has made you to be. Jonathan Edwards said this, and I love this quote. Many of you probably have heard it before. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God, is infinitely better than most pleasant accommodations here. Better even than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but the scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Isn't that a fantastic quote? That's telling us that we're to look at these beams of light that we enjoy in our relationships and anything created, and we're to trace that beam up to the Son who allowed us to experience that. When Paul prays that for our, eyes, our hearts to be enlightened, he's praying that we be awakened to that, that we would feel awe about who he has created us to be. And I don't know about you, I hope that you sense that. I hope that you discover that. I get, I get excited when, when we sing, just sing, Oh Great God. Or we sing, oh, come thou fount. 
when we sing those songs, it must please the heart of God. And I get wild again every time we have the privilege to be able to sing, sing that. If you have not been wild and you've not been awestruck, cry out to God. Amen. God, give me my eyes open. Let me see your beauty. Because all I see is life is tough. Life is hard. Some of you are in that season of life and it's difficult to see that God is worthy of your praise. And we need to be reminded. We need to be wowed. And we need to live out of this before others. You and I, one of the purpose of marriage, those of you that are married, is to display this covenantal relationship that God has with his people through your marriage relationship. When God does a work in your marriage li- married life, it's to display His goodness, display that love. And we have the, pro- the opportunity to woo people to the beauty of it. That's what He's created us for. And so here in this passage, we have three things that Paul prays for. And he's praying that we would come to know these three things because he knows it is the means for our hearts to be truly enlightened so that we would fulfill His plan. Okay, it's, He's praying that we would come to know these three things so that we would be a part of his plan for every day of our life. And so if you look with me, verse 18 and 19, he prays for these things. He prays that we would come to know the hope to which he has called us. He prays that we would come to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he prays that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power. You see that? In verse 18 and 19. So let's just take each one of those for a few moments. The hope of our calling. The biblical concept of hope is very different than the way we use the word oftentimes. Oftentimes we use the word, I hope that my team wins today. Or I hope uh, that we'll have the opportunity to do something a little bit later. Go swimming uh, later this afternoon. I hope it doesn't rain. Uh, We use that as a wishful thinking. Biblical hope is confident assurance in full expectation that God will deliver on His Word. It is a future-oriented thing. It's putting faith and faith into the future and saying, I see that God will provide this. And this is what Paul's praying for. He's praying that you and I, our hope, would be absolutely secure. It's where our hope leads. And that's what he wants us to see. There's a, there's a destination for our faith, and he wants that to be able to boil up, to overflow, so that we are filled with this biblical hope and looking forward to what it is. It's the hope that ultimately leads us to glorification. In Romans 8.30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Exactly. The Apostle Paul, that has received this revelation from God, praises God for this incredible plan. And he prays that we would come to know this plan and that we would have confident assurance and full expectation that this calling that you and I have today is going to lead to our glorification. He wants us to live with that conscious reality every day. When we get up, I am to have this confident assurance and full expectation That today is not the day. It may be, ultimately, when he calls. But today, I am confidently looking forward to that day when I will be glorified. 
And that is what we've got to live with. We've got to be able to have that expectation. It's the only way that we can cope in this world, especially when life gets tough. Have you guys had times in your life where you've just been gut-checked and you've had a circumstance in your life that feels like you just got T-boned? Have anybody had any of those situations in your life? I've had multiple. And in those moments, you start working, walking through a time of suffering and difficulty where you don't know where, what's going to happen in your life. And you become at a place of such darkness. And you know that, God, how am I going to get through? How are you going to carry me through this? I don't understand what you're doing. And you may be in a time of waiting on God. Man, those periods are so long, it seems to be. Waiting on God to do that which you're longing for him to do. But Paul takes biblical hope and he lays it right aside, right alongside suffering. And he wants us to weigh it out. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult it is, he wants you to lay suffering and he wants you to lay glory next to one another. And I want you to be able to to weigh it out. So in this passage, uh, he says, which is I'm going to go to right now, um, just to be able to read it because it's such a glorious passage. It's a passage in Romans chapter 8, which probably many of you know. But Paul lays this passage out and he says, For I consider that the sufferings that I'm experiencing in this world are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Okay? There's an element of your salvation that is being accomplished today. When you hope in the glory that is to come, you will be saved from today's present circumstances. You follow me? There, You have to be able to pull that glory that is going to be coming, and you have to pull it into today's reality. And you had to look at it right next to the suffering that you're enduring. That's what Paul is saying. I want you to have biblical hope. I want you to understand that today... Even though it's difficult it is, this ain't it. you got a day that's awaiting you that's going to be with me in glory. And you're going to be in my presence. And ultimately you're going to be on a restored earth. A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Don't you long for that day? Amen. Oh, I long for that day. The older I get, the more I long for that day. Because I see in this, things, this world that things that just don't work right. People don't act like it right. Our nation is in trouble. Things that seem so wrong, people are calling out to be right. And I see the reality. I mean, the things that are just evil, people want you to be able to affirm they're evil. I just long for God to be able to come back and set it, true, and set it right. He's not done that yet because our mission is not fulfilled yet. You with me? His glory is at stake. There's one thing you walk away here today. I pray that that would stir you. Christ's glory is at stake. How can I endure a difficult 
marriage. Christ's glory is at stake. So when I give myself up to serve my spouse, I glorify Christ. When I'm going through a difficult time with my coworkers at work, and it is a fight just to get it in for that day, Christ's glory is at stake. When I don't want to go talk to somebody about Jesus because I'd rather be more occupied with my own stuff and my own routine, Christ's glory is at stake. When I'd rather put my head down and just focus on my lane, not be challenged by faith to step out, Christ's glory is at stake. And that changes everything. Paul says that this is what he is waiting for. And he says, we, for who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. And we're to wait for it with patience. And the Spirit will help us in our weaknesses. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Goes on to say, I didn't know what to pray sometimes. That's okay. You know what? The Spirit knows what to pray and He'll pray for you. I love that passage of Scripture. Paul is praying that we would, we would get this. You and I have been called. If you have been justified, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you have known that you're a sinner and you cried out to Him to recognize that I acknowledge my sin and I recognize that there's nothing that I can do to work to be able to cover my unrighteousness, and you've declared that I believe in Jesus. You have been justified. And God says in his word right here, those whom he justified, he will glorify. We need to think about that every day. This ain't it. I will be glorified one day. So I can endure and be faithful to the glory of Christ now because of what's going to be happening in my future. And I need that. You and I need that. To be able to get through our days now. Right? We need to have eyes and hearts open to this as John did in Revelation 21. Listen to this. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That is something to be able to shout about. That is something to be able to compel our hearts to. Right? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout victory. We need to think about that today. Amen? Amen. Oh, if I would just do that. I would just do that. You and I have to encourage one another to do that. When you're meeting with your friends and you're meeting with your family and you're hearing about them, your job and my job is to be able to get, when they're looking down at their situation, your job is to lift their chin and to be able to say, this ain't it. There's, there's better coming. Glory's coming. 
And it's going to be much better than what you're ever, what you're experiencing right now. You and I have that responsibility and role. And this is the first thing that Paul prays for. I pray that you would know the hope of his calling. And you would treasure that. And that would be something that you think about every day. Okay? The next thing, number two, the next thing that he prays for, and this is this is this is rich. When I when I discovered this, I'm like, oh, this is this is this is good. Know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He prays this because God has revealed it to him. He says that back in verse 14. If you look in verse 14, that the Holy Spirit that we have been given to indwell our bodies now is the guarantee or down payment of our our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now the question is, what is the inheritance to which he speaks? Well, in this context, we need to be able to see this inheritance. And when you begin to unpack this, you see the connection that he's praying for, that he's given us the spirit of the guarantee. Then you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which I encourage you to be able to do. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is glorious. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is something else you're supposed to be able to put into your mind. When our bodies don't work right, right? We're, our bodies are in bondage to decay. You guys, anybody that's over 40, 40 at 40, it's the magic number. It happens. 40, you get glasses. And then all of a sudden, all things, all things start to ache, and your knees don't work right, your back don't work right, and it is tough, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And it's a step of faith just getting out of bed in the morning. But when you look at this, know that this is not always going to be this way. This is what he says. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I love this. We know if this tent, this is what this is, this tent, this earth suit. Did you know that you and I have an earth suit? That's pretty cool, right? You and I have an earth suit, and it's the skin that we live in. This ain't us. We are are inside. This is this earth suit. And he says, we have this tent, and he calls it. This tent, this earthly home, and we know that this earthly home is destroyed. We have a building, right? It is something so much more substantial than a tent, right? I mean, some of you guys are like, like camping out and living in a tent. Um, tent doesn't always stay up when things get difficult. I remember having a, a youth retreat that we had a couple of years ago, Fall Creek Falls, and we had, a, we had a, a tornado that came through that park. And I tell you, those tents did not last. Uh, they flew away. Uh, the Bible says here that this earth tent, this tent that we have, will not exist. But we have a building that's prepared for us a dwelling place that is much more secure. We have a house from God. Look at that. We have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan. Long, don't we groan? (laughs) We groan, don't we? We groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may be not found to be naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a what? Guarantee, right? That's what Paul's praying for. He has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, the Spirit that is to indwell you and me. 
When we sense the Spirit of God, you are to say, oh, that's the guarantee that I got that this is not all there is, that he's got a glorified body that's awaiting for me. How about that? That's what you're to think about. I love it. And you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul prays the same thing in a little bit different way. He says this, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 50, if you want to follow along. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul personifies death here. And he basically says, death, what can you do? I love preaching this at memorial services. Because that is a reality that all of us have to come to. We have to come to terms with. At a memorial service, God can get a hold of your attention unlike anything else. And that can be a defining moment. I know it was a pretty significant moment in my own life when my grandmother passed away. And when my grandmother passed away, she was a godly woman. And she had godly influence upon my mother. And it was that influence upon my mother that ultimately brought me to faith in Christ, my brother to faith in Christ, and my dad. My dad didn't come to faith in Christ until he was 45 years old. But when he came, hello. He was an incredible model of humility. Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. The death that we see and experience has nothing. The sting of death is sin. Well, you know what? Sin has been conquered. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And that's what he says, verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there, look at where he goes next. Therefore, my beloved brothers, that's y'all, us, me, you, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You see that? That's what he's making it tied to. Guys, think about this. And then be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in God's work for you. Because you have an end that is glorious. Amen. And we need to see that. We need to be mindful of that. We need to know that that is a reality. This truth has got to be able to infiltrate us and fill us is what ultimately he's going to be praying. This is part of the filling. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that means you're less and less of you and more and more of him. When you contemplate the deep things of God like this, you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's what Paul is ultimately wanting us to see. Okay? So he's given us this spirit that we have now as a guarantee of the new bodies, the inheritance that is to come. And he says, Saint, I want you to know it. I want you to know it as a reality. This is going to happen. And then there's the third thing he prays for. Right? The third thing he says, I pray that you will know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Look at verse 19. The greatness of this power 
It is the Father's power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It is that same life-giving power that has brought you and I from death to life. He is praying that you and I now would come to know this and experience this resurrection power. What it means to be set free from the bondage of sin, to say no to sin, and to walk in newness of life. That's what Paul prays for and, and then he speaks about in Romans chapter 6, right? I pray that you would know that you have been buried with him in the likeness of his death, so you may be raised to walk in a newness of life. Just as he was raised from the dead, you too are to walk in this newness of life. That's what that baptism is to represent. That's when you see somebody being baptized, that is an opportunity for you to be able to say, that person is now walking to walk in a newness of life. It is symbolic of you being identified and immersed with the Spirit of God, now to not be your own anymore. You basically, when you're baptized, you're basically saying, I'm putting my flag up. I am showing all that I am committed to walk this way. Why well, I say believer, remember your baptism. Because when you got baptized, you declared you were all in. Some of us have been not all in. You hear what I'm saying? Some of us need to spend our lives a little bit more. Some of us need to lean in to the relationships God has put in our life. You're not promised tomorrow. And you're there for a reason. This community needs to be reached. I, I drove by this, this road right here, a little further south. There's an apartment community. Y'all seen that? It is huge. And it's getting ready to go up right down the street here. This is within walking distance. We ought to have specific strategies. What are we doing to share the love of Christ to that community that's right around us? There are people moving in all over this place. It is unbelievable, right? And we got to say, as churches, we got to say, we got the goods. We know what God is going to do. Those people, many of them, may not. We've got to share that with them. They will not know unless we tell them. God needs to use us and he wants to use us. That is the amazing thing. He uses a dysfunctional, broken, dis messed up guy like me to be able to declare his truth. Me and you get to do that. Hello. Who knew? But God uses every one of us. Our inadequacies, I don't know about you, I get paralyzed by inadequacies. And I have a low self-confidence. And I compare myself to others. And I say, I'm not that smart. I can't do it like him. And it defeats me. You know, God didn't want that. I, I used to, we used to have an older gentleman, Brother George McGinnis. Mike remember George. And he was from Scotland. And he used to say, just be yourself. And he'd get up there to preach. And I'd be so intimidated. Just be yourself. Let God use your life. And I say that to you, brother, sister. Just be yourself. You know? Live the life that God has given you to the max. Students. Live that life before your friends. Let them know you love Jesus. Moms, dads, the greatest thing that your children need to see is they need to, need to see that you love Jesus. Amen. I was talking to a mother this past week and she's so frustrated and difficult because she's got a teenage boy. Remember them? Remember, remember teenage boys when they get to that age and they just kind of want to get independent and want to go their own way? And this mother is just pulling her hair out because she's having such a difficult time because he wants to go this way when she says go that way. And I told her, my dear sister, I said, 
the best thing you can do for him. And he, he just says, oh, she just stays on me all the time. It's just one thing after another. Can't we just do something without you correcting me and do something without you saying that I, what I need to do? And I look at that and I think, you know, we need to live with our, with our children in a way that they see our love for Jesus. And that's going to be able to woo them to his beauty. That means you and I, Dad, we need to be able to confess our sins. And I'll tell you what, that'll humble you. But when you speak sharp, sharply to your spouse, you don't want to, but you do it because your flesh is strong sometimes and you want what, you're, what you want regardless of what she wants. And so you end up doing what you want anyway. They see that. You know, the best thing you can do is go, Honey, kids... I see that that was not right. That wasn't honoring to God. That wasn't reflective of God's nature. So please forgive me. You need to do that. That's, what, that's how we parent. That's how you raise kids that love Jesus because they see your flaws anyway. Don't be hypocritical and try to be able to say that you're not there. You know. This is for every believer. And we are to have this passion to be able to know that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. For just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. We've been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Don't you long for that day? Not to be enslaved. The Bible says we are not now. We have changed our allegiance. Ultimately, there will be a day then there will be no entanglement. There will be no flesh. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, shall never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin. Once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And this is what he says. This is Romans six eleven. So you must also, brother and sister, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right? You, some of you know the song, Wanted Dead and Alive, Bon Jovi. Wanted, wanted, dead. That song... Uh, we need to realize that God wants us wanted, he says, wanted, dead to sin and alive to God. So sing that this afternoon. Dead and alive. I, want, I want to be dead to sin, alive to God in my life. Paul is praying that we would come to know this experience because he knows that when we experience what it means to be dead to sin, to truly say no to sin and be alive to God, it will be, it'll radiate. You will have joy. You will have confidence that you didn't have before. The church, I believe now, and I know it because me, when I'm entangled with sin, I'm just, just deficient. I don't live to the, the max that God created me to experience. But when I'm filling myself with the Word of God and I'm less and less of me, then God's power is being able to see and it be exercised through me. And I pray that the world would see that between me and you, right? That's God's hope. That is what he is banking on. He is banking on his church. That is, that's his plan. It's amazing. 
He is now asking his spirit to indwell us, to manifest his presence to the people on this earth until the earth becomes saturated with his glory because more and more believers look like him. This is what Paul's praying for. His glory is at stake. We've got to know this. This is so crucial that we get this. Look at verse 20 and we'll close. Look what this life-giving power accomplished against our enemy. It placed Jesus as king. Verse 20, And seated him at the Father's right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. All the spiritual forces of wickedness have been placed under Jesus' feet. Think about that right now. Think about that. Those spiritual forces that come calling to you at 3 a.m. in the morning. And you wake up in a fret or in a sweat because you hear everything that you're not. When he tells you all of those things, you're to be able to counter with who God is. Who is the one I am to look to when I don't feel accepted? I am, is what he says. Who is the one am I to look to when I don't know where to go? I am. Who is the one I had to look to when the suffering is so difficult? I am. Who is the one that I'm to look to when I can't, can't think that I can go on? I am. That's the relationship that he wants to have with us. Now we are his body. And all authority, it says, has been given to Jesus. That's the commission, right? That's why that word is so important in the commission when Jesus shares it. All authority has been given to him. That means he's reigning. And the demonic realm is subject to him. But it's subject, and, and his now, because his spirit is indwelling us, we're to go live out that life. And the demonic war, 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 warfare that's going on will be subject to Jesus' name. Amen. So we can go in confidence knowing that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we can be bold about sharing our faith with others because Jesus has subdued all that. we got to live like that. Discipleship is our business. Every one of us. It's not just for the pastors to do, right? It's It's for every one of us. And discipleship is a relationship that you and I are to have with one another within the body of Christ. To do spiritual good for someone. Initiating, teaching, correcting, modeling, loving, counseling, influencing. That's what discipleship is. Part of it also is being able to go tell others that are not yet seeking him. This is for every one of us. We are to live like this. This truth that transforms us is to be moving through us and everyone around us. This is our key to our own joy. Okay, Our joy is at stake. When you get in on what God has created you to do, when you understand this plan and you start being faithful to fulfill this plan, you, I promise you, will have more joy in your life and more satisfaction, more peace and fruits of the Spirit when you get on point. And it is something, guys, that will be contagious. Will be absolutely contagious. And this is what he says in verse 23. Finally, he says... He wants to fill us, his body, the church, completely with all the fullness of Christ. This is the idea of fullness. This is what he's praying for. Oh, that I pray. 
He says he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over the things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. A little bit difficult phrase to be able to say, what is he saying here? Fills all and in all. This is his body. This is the idea of fullness that we are to experience. Christ is in all of us, right? He is to fill all of us, right? And when he fills all of us, we are to fill the earth with his likeness. That's what he's praying for. That's the goal of the church. To help you and I be filled of his spirit so that we'd be filled with all the fullness in order to be saturated so that we can't help but affect those that are all around us with the glories of Christ. That's what he's praying for in this prayer and is something that we need to give our lives for. Amen? Amen. If you'll join me in prayer. God, we know that you want to fill the universe with the glory of your Son. And the way you've chosen to do that is by putting your spirit in us, your body, as your church to display the embodiment of your Son. And we declare to you, that is what this community needs to see. This community needs to see you. And I pray that they will get to see you through us. We recognize that is why we're still here. I pray that you would, your spirit would stir every soul here this morning. That they would feel a renewed passion to be about fulfilling your plan. They would look to you. They would recognize the incredible love in which you loved us. And they would savor this relationship with you. They would die to self. And they would truly be full. So Lord, I bow along with Paul. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. For whom every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of your glory, you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit and our inner being so that you, Jesus, would dwell in our hearts through faith and that you and us, being rooted and grounded in love, would have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever.